0: Series uh, into the message this morning, because we're talking about bad blood. And Taylor's right, band-aids don't fix bullet holes. And we've been in this series now for a couple of weeks, and we're in part three of a four-part series uh, called Bad Blood. And and this series is all about relationships. We all have relationships somewhere or another that are characterized by by bad blood. we We have relationships where there is not peace in those relationships. And the big idea of this series, if you've missed this any uh, so far in the series, just to catch up the big idea of this series is that we want you to be able to have peace about the relationship. Even if there's never peace in the relationship, we want you to be able to have peace in the relationship, but, but sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes there's just not going to be peace in the relationship. So we want you to be able to have peace about that relationship, that relationship that's characterized by bad blood. And, and as we said At the beginning of this series, if you want to have peace about the relationship, if you want to have peace in the relationship, it all starts with empathy. It starts with taking that long walk around to see things from their perspective, to, to see things from the other side of the green, if you remember the, the analogy that we used, to, to be able to, to see what they perceive to be truth and, and to suspend your own judgment. And you know, look, we're not saying your feelings aren't important, that, that your opinions and all those things aren't important, but, but sometimes when there's bad blood in a relationship, you've got to suspend your own judgment and you've got to see what, what the other person sees. And you can't make any judgments about it. it is, it's how they feel. And so empathy is taking that long walk around to the other side to see what they, to see, what they see, to suspend your own judgment, and then to feel what they feel so that, so that you can understand exactly what it is that they're going through. And then last week, we followed up by saying that if empathy is the pathway to peace, then forgiveness is the vehicle that gets us there. And we looked at what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church at Rome, about leaving room for God's wrath. Remember, we talked about how how it, it's our job to forgive. That's what God has asked us to do. That's what God has called us to do is to forgive and to leave room for His wrath. Our job is not to avenge. It's not to get revenge. It's not to think, how are we going to get even? It's to leave room for God's God's wrath because God wants to be our defender. But until we're willing to forgive and we're willing to forgive in those relationships where we've got some bad blood, God oftentimes, I think, is just hands off and like hey if you're going to take revenge then then what do you need me for right that's that's kind of where it is so we want to leave room for God's wrath and today we're going to look at something that Jesus said over in the gospel of Matthew it's in the section of scripture that's commonly referred to as the sermon on the mount because it was a sermon and when Jesus said it he was on a mountainside so sermon on the mount it fits and and uh, we're going to look at just two sentences that, that Jesus said. It's found in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over there. It'll be on the, on the screen here in just a moment. But, but you probably know this about Jesus. And if you've been around the teachings of Jesus very much at all, you know that Jesus raises the standard on everything. Jesus raises, he, he takes everything to, to a higher standard. And so in this section of scripture, just a couple of verses before we're get, we get to what we're going to read about, Jesus says this. He says, You've heard it said, don't murder. But he's going to raise the standard. So he says, I'm telling you, don't even be angry with your brother that it would cause you to dismiss them. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say there. He doesn't say it's, it's wrong to be angry. He doesn't say that. He says, Don't be in such anger that it causes you to dismiss them, to think that I'm done with them, okay? I don't want anything ever to do with them. He says, that that's not okay. You can't do that. Instead, he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, to which most people in the context, think about who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a Jewish audience. They would say, whoa, 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 whoa. What, What are you talking about, Jesus? What does this, if you have your offering, what does that have to do? with what you were just talking about there's that's jesus that's a hard segue with really not a good transition because this statement therefore if you're at the at the altar with your offering this statement it is loaded with cultural meaning for for this this audience think about it. remember his audience is it's it's first century jews this this statement is loaded with cultural meaning because for them there was one altar There was one altar, and it was in Jerusalem. And so if you were a Jewish person, it didn't matter where you lived. You would, at some point in the year, you would pack up everything that you could, and you would prepare an offering, and you would take it to Jerusalem. You would make this trek, this voyage to Jerusalem, and you would go into this altar where you would atone or pay for all the sins that you had committed the previous year. So basically, they would live like hell all year long, and then have this one day where they would make an offering to atone for everything that they had done. That seems like a pretty important day, doesn't it? Like if I'm going to make an offering for everything that I have done in in the past year, like I better get this day right. This better be like the most important day circled on my calendar. It's it's got nothing else can interfere with this day. This has got to be the day that's, that's the most important. And Jesus is recognizing that. And he's saying, yeah, this is a big deal. If you're at the altar with your offering, it's a huge deal. It, to put it kind of maybe in, in our terms, and this is a, a really poor analogy, but it would be kind of like getting ready to go on a trip. It'd be like me and Christy. We, we, we love to go to Jamaica. Uh, some of you all know that. It, it's become just one of our favorite spots. And we really like to go there in the winter because we don't like cold weather. I, I hate cold weather. I'm dreading all of you people that are fall people, and you're you just—it's got We need it to be fall, and it can be cold, and we can drink our pumpkin spice. You got it. It's wet, it's damp, it's cold. Blah. I'm not—that's not me. I like—I like warm weather, and so we like to go to Jamaica in the winter because it's usually in January, 85 to 90 degrees there. It's really nice, and when we come back, it's always really miserable. Last year we came back, and there was a 65 degree difference from when we left. To when we got back in the same day it was miserable but this would be kind of like having planned a trip for me and her to go on and and I've got everything packed and the car is loaded the 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 bags are packed the boys are taken care of the dogs are taken care of we're we're at the airport and it's time to get on the plane like you're you're at that point and I just want you to think about something this altar this gift this moment at the altar it has massive meaning to his audience because their desire to connect with God, it made them do whatever was necessary to make things right with God. In fact, you, you might even say it this way, in order to connect with God, they had to make things right with God. So just imagine you're there, you're, you're in this audience, you're on the mountainside where Jesus is, is giving this sermon and he's talking about it. And, and everybody would be not alone because they understand the significance when, they, when he says you're at the, at the altar, everybody knew what he was talking about. And so you're, you're nodding your head and you're just imagining this scene play out. And as everyone is imagining being at the altar with their sacrifice, Jesus says this. He says, you're there and remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Now notice, this is different than what he says in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18 he says, if your brother or your sister has sinned against you. But now he's going to say, if your brother or sister has something against you. In one case, it's they have done something to you. They have wronged you. But now he's saying you have wronged them. In one case, it's, well, what do we do if it's, if it's their fault? And in this instance, he's saying, well, what do you do if it's your fault? Fortunately, his answer is going to be the same. He says, so you're there and, and, and it dawns on you. And I remember he's mad at me or, or she's mad at me. I, I can't believe it. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar leave your gift there in front of the altar and when he said that I'm sure everybody in the audience just gasped I'm like Jesus no no you you can't be serious that's that's such a ridiculous thing to say you you, you couldn't you couldn't think that it'd be like going to the airport and and you're there and you're ready to step on the plane like you're you're you've come through security and you've done all the TSA stuff and, and you're getting ready to step on the plane and all of a sudden you go oh wait we, we got to go back we got to go back and it's like why, why do we got to go back well my neighbors they're they're upset with me like, well we, we got to go back why do we got to go back well well my mom she's she's frustrated with me well well why do we got to go back well my kids they're upset with me it's like well, we'll deal with that when we get back we're going on our trip right and Jesus says he says you got to leave your gift there And you go deal with the bad blood that's in your relationships. Listen, the people in his audience, when they heard Jesus say this, they would have thought, Jesus, you have lost your ever-loving mind. This is such an absolute ridiculous example. And Jesus would have said, yeah, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. You you think this is ridiculous, but you're beginning to understand, if you think this is that ridiculous, you're beginning to understand just how important this is. It's as if he's saying, before you make things right with God, before you get this relationship right, you gotta go make things right with others. You gotta go make right things, make things right with other people. And look, maybe you're at church today, or maybe you're watching online. And you're just hoping that somehow this is, by by watching online or by being at church, that this is going to make you right with God. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about this relationship, this vertical relationship, this relationship between you and God. Don't worry about it if you've got problems with this relationship, with these relationships, if if you've got problems problem side to side he says if you're if you're working on how to get this right between me and you if you want to get that right then and, and you're looking only at this then you're looking the wrong way you you need to look side to side you need to look at at, at at the relationships around you and you need to figure out where the bad blood around you is at and so he gives the same answer he says you leave your gift right there in front of the altar even if someone might steal it, because that's what everybody would be worried about, right? Well, what, what if somebody takes my gift? Well, if they do, they do. That'll be between them and God, right? He says, even if, if they take it, but you leave it there. And first, he says, first go. He says, you go. So, so let me throw a little pop quiz in here, all right? He says, hey, when someone has sinned against you, what do you do? You go. And what if somebody has something against you, what do you do? You go. All right, I want to make sure that we're all clear on this, okay? And so this is going to be the, kind of the, the audience participation part, okay? So we're going to try this again, all right? Because I want, to, I want to make sure that we're super clear about this. What do you do when someone has sinned against you? You go. All right, a little better. And what do you do if, something has, if someone has something against you? What do you do? You go. go, right. It's like he would say, look, I love counselors. Counselors are wonderful people. They, they do a lot of good for a lot of people, but you don't need one of them to figure out what you're supposed to do right here. You, you don't need, need, need them. It's not complicated. It's not complex. You just go. You just go. That, that's what you do. It doesn't matter who's wrong. You don't have to assess blame. You, you don't have to diagnose the situation. You don't have to wait until you're ready. You don't even have to pray about it. All right. You just go. You go when you've been wronged. You take the first step. And when you've wronged, you take the first step. When when you've been wronged and someone did something to you, you take the first step and you go. Well, what about when you're the person that's wrong? Well, you know I get it. They're they're mad at me. They're frustrated at me. They don't want to speak to me right now because they think that I did this and I. Kind of did do this and so they're kind of right and, and they don't want to do that it really is my fault he says go either way you go it doesn't matter who's at fault you just go He's it's like well can I stop and ask somebody's advice well if you're asking along the way like right if you're on the way and you're going okay maybe stop and ask for some advice but you go you, you just keep going well what about if it's someone who's been continuously hurt well, next week we're, we're going to talk about when to set up boundaries in your life. But in every other case, when you're the, whether you're the transgressor or whether you're the one that's been transgressed upon, the answer is still the same. You go. And this is what he says. He says, first you go and be reconciled to them. You, you go to them. You, you do all that you know to do. And, and you say, hey, I want to be reconciled. I want to find peace with you. Be reconciled means to make peace. And in order to make peace with someone, there's got to be a desire to, for peace. Meaning, I'm not going to go so that I can just beat you down more and I can make you feel worse about the situation and about our relationship than it already is. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to make peace with you. I'm going to make peace with you so I don't have to dodge you in the grocery store. So that we can be around each other, that I don't have to look around and think, oh, there's somebody in aisle three, I better make sure I go to aisle seven. You know, I, I want to be able to, to have peace with you when a few years ago it's been more than a few years ago now but uh, i was working for a church and uh i was on staff and we had a family in the church and they had a fallen out with another staff member and they left the church and and this family this specifically the husband he and i were we were best of friends uh, we we went on trips together we we did stuff together we we talked every day and and all of a sudden because of this bad blood in this relationship with them and another staff member like we were just cut off we couldn't be friends anymore it felt like it was like it was kind of guilty by association right and and they would dodge us in the grocery stores and around town and and we didn't live in a super big town so you're gonna see people and and we kind of did the same and one day I got tired of that our kids went to the same school we would drop we would pass each other in the drop-off line And, and specifically the wife she she was you know, she didn't want any confrontation, no conflict, that kind of stuff, and, and she was hurt, and so she would avoid me like the plague. I would be dropping our kids off, and she'd be dropping their kids off, and we'd pass each other, and like she'd almost wreck her car to not make eye contact with me, and this went on for a couple of weeks, and I thought, man, this is stupid. This is, this is the dumbest thing, and so one day we're picking kids up, and I, I kind of figured that if I were, went later, I'd be one of the last ones, but then I wouldn't have to sit in the car line so long and she did too, and so I saw her coming down the driveway, I'm, com- I'm coming to pick my kids up, she's already picked hers up, and there's nobody behind her, there's a couple of cars behind me, but I just, I see her vehicle coming, and so I just parked, and I got out of my car, and I went and stood in the other lane of the, r- of the driveway, which was really not a smart thing to do, because I wasn't certain that she wasn't going to run me over, but I made a big commotion I'm waving my hands and all that kind of stuff and so she stopped because it was either that or run me over and so she stopped and I walked around to the to the window and I said look I don't know what's going on between us like I get everything that's happened between you all and this other people but we can still be friends we can still talk we can still get along and look and I'll tell you that that was the beginning point of a reconciliation I'll tell you it still took a long time they in fact, her husband was really mad that I did that. And, I, and thinking back, if I, somebody did that to my wife, I'd probably be really upset about it too. So I, so I get it. But it was just a moment where it was like, we've got to quit avoiding each other. We, we've got to quit avoiding each other. We've got to go and be reconciled. Look, you go and you make it right. Well, how do you make it right? How do you make things right? Well, you make it right by confessing you're wrong. When, when you've been wrong, when you're the one that has done the wrong, you make it right by going to them and you tell them what you did wrong. I've, I've avoided using a certain word in this series and in and, and this message, message today because it's loaded with meaning for, for church people. For people who've been around the church a long time, you'll recognize this word, but honestly, it's the best word. It's the word that Jesus uses when he talks about this idea. You make it right by confessing your wrongs. In other words, you Repent you repent. Repentance is a powerful, powerful thing. Repentance is going to someone and saying, you know what, I was wrong. I was wrong, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not. I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. But let me tell you what repentance is not. Let's be clear about this. Repentance is not going to someone and saying, well, you know, I'm sorry if I offended you. That's not repentance. Anybody ever get one of those apologies like, Hey, I, I'm sorry if I offended you. The question is not if I offended you. I offended you. If those, those apologies, they're so empty. You know, it's like, you know, um, oh, I didn't realize that you were that sensitive. Or if, if you're going to be that picky or that small-minded or that immature, well, then I'm, I'm sorry. You know, we, and look, we're all guilty of saying that kind of stuff. I, I've given those empty apologies before, and, and I'm sure you have as well. We say that stuff to protect ourselves. But it, but it's really like we're actually just we're just twisting a knife in somebody that we've already put the knife in there to begin with. Well, if if you if you have that big of a problem with me, well then I'll say I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Now he says, when you've been wronged, you take the first step and you forgive. That's what we talked about last week. He says you you forgive. That's what you do. And you go to them and you and you tell them if if it'll make the situation better. Look, because you know sometimes. Sometimes you just need to forgive people and move on, and and you don't have to have a conversation with them. Sometimes you need to tell them. So if it'll make the the, the relationship better by going to them and telling them that you forgive them, then go do it. But look, some people are going to be offended that you need to forgive them. And so if that's not going to make the relationship better, just forgive them and move on. But when it's helpful, you go to them and you say, look, hey, you wronged me, and that hurt, but I forgive you. I'm, I'm letting you off the, off the hook. I'm not going to demand payment anymore. I forgive you. We're not going to speak of it anymore. I, I'm over it. I, I wish you the best. That's what you do when you've been wronged. And when you've wronged, you take the first step and you repent. When you've been wronged, you take the first step and you forgive. And when you've been wronged, or when you've wronged, you take the first step and repent. You go to them and say, look, I was wrong. I was wrong. Here's what it looks like to take... Uh, to repent you got to take full responsibility for your wrong you, you got to own your piece of the pie we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago you got to own your wrong you got to take full responsibility for it and you make no excuses for your behavior I, I'm not going to make excuses I, I could give you excuses you know I, I had too much to drink or I was on something or I was going through a rough time or I was depressed or I, I was feeling threatened I, I just had a lot go- on my mind I, I, I could give you a hundred reasons why I did this but I'm not going to make any excuses I'm, I'm just, I, I was wrong. I make no excuses for it. And then you lay out a plan for change. You say, this is how I'm going to change. A couple of months ago, a friend of mine came to me because they had heard that I had said something about them that I did actually say. And I didn't think I was gossiping. It, it, it was one of those, like, if they had been standing right there by me, I would have said it. And i But they came to me, and they were upset with me that I had said this. So repentance for me require that I say you know what I did say that and I shouldn't have I, sh- I shouldn't have and I can't make any excuses for it. it it can't be you know well you know if you were standing right here I would have said I didn't think I was talking behind your back I thought it was public knowledge I didn't know this was private information it, it no I said that and I shouldn't have and I'm not ever going to say anything like that again that's what repentance looks like for me in my world I don't know what it looks like for you in your world you got to you got to figure that out but, but Jesus says, when someone has something against you, and you're there at the altar, you've got your gift, you've worked on it, you've made preparations, you've made all the arrangements. He says, you're all worried about this relationship. You're all worried about your relationship with God, but you've got to leave your gift there. And you've got to go and you've got to be reconciled to them. And then, and then you can come back and offer your gift. Then and only then can you come back and offer your gift. After you've made things right here, then you come back. And you make things right with God. It's, I think God sometimes thinks, you know, and, and we think. We get so hung up on our relationship with God. We get so hung up on this relationship between us and God. And we're, we're always worried about, you know, is, am, am, I, am I cool with God? Am I okay with God? Is God okay with me? And look, that's a legitimate thing to be worried about. We should be concerned about that. But I think God's often going, you know what? You're worrying too much about this. Because I have made peace with you through my son Jesus. Like there was, a, there was a point in time where this relationship was not good, right? There was a point in time where, where you had sinned against God. I had sinned against God. There was, this relationship was not good. But then Jesus came and he fixed that. Jesus came and he, he solved our relationship problem between us and God. God made peace with us through his son Jesus and, and God saying, look, we've made peace. But now it's up to you to go and make peace with those relationships around you. And the hardest part about this for me is that reconciliation, being able to to make peace with one another, it requires us turning confrontation into a conversation. It requires us turning what feels like a confrontation. Doesn't it feel like a confrontation? I'm telling you, that day when I'm standing in that that driveway, I just knew it was going to be a confrontation. The, a few days later when I saw her husband, I really knew it was going to be a confrontation. It, it, it requires us, though, turning those moments into a safe place of conversation, and that's not easy. You know, I, f- I feel like one of the things I hear a lot, and guilty of saying a lot, too, especially when it comes to conflict, is, well, I'm not very good at conflict. And I hear pe- some people say that, and what I really want to say to them is, no, 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 you're really good at conflict you're just not very good at conflict resolution but but here's the thing nobody loves conflict and and nobody at least would willingly admit to loving conflict but as a follower of Jesus you don't have a choice you don't have a choice you've got to figure out how to reconcile with those around you because and it requires turning what feels like a confrontation into a conversation And look, it's not easy. I get it. It it drums up all sorts of emotions of of anxiety and and dread. It it just it has that feeling that just gets you in the pit of your stomach and it's not good. I don't know how many of you are handy around the house. Um, If if you're a, a husband or just man, if you're handy around the house, let's just see a show of hands. How many of you think you're handy around the house? All right, Christy, take note because these are the people that we're going to get to work on projects because I am not. I am not handy around the house at all. In fact, I think I'm the most mechanically challenged person that I know. My wife loves me for a lot of reasons, but being handy around the house ain't one of them. And I always think it's worse for me because her her dad and her grandpa, they are really handy around the house. They're really good at that kind of stuff. They're, uh, they're good with... With anything in the house they're good with cars all that kind of stuff and and I just hate it because I am not I, I am awful at that kind of stuff when, when we lived in Berksville, and her parents lived about two hours away from us they they would come down and visit and Christy would always have a list of projects for her dad to do when they got there and I'm like I've been here the whole time and she's just like yeah I know and she'd give her dad the list and and for us mechanically challenged guys, and there's a couple of us I, I saw when I asked for hands raised. Some of you didn't raise your hand, so I'm taking note. We're in good, you're in good company, all right? There's always that moment of dread. There's always that moment of anxiety when, when you're helping your father-in-law or your grandfather-in-law, in this case, with something. And you know they're going to ask you to go get some sort of tool, and you don't have a clue what that tool is that they're talking about. Christie's grandpa in his day was a pretty good mechanic. And my car needed some work done. And, and like I said, I'm not good around the house. I'm not good with cars. And so we went up to Louisville to visit her grandparents. And Jack was going to work on, on my car. And I was just, I was zero use. Absolutely worthless out there. And so he asked me what was wrong with the car. And I didn't know, had no idea. I just tried to imitate the noise that the car was making. And he figured it out from there. So he's he pretty good at it. And so he's working on the car. And he's, he's underneath the car. And I'm just standing there doing absolutely nothing I mean I'm holding the light because that's what I learned to do when I was a kid and helping my dad I learned how to hold the light and get yelled at because I couldn't do anything else and so I'm just holding the light for him and he tells me to go get some tool and I don't remember what tool it was but it didn't matter because I didn't have a clue what he was talking about and so I walked over the toolbox and I just kind of stood there and I moved a wrench and moved another wrench and kind of made a little noise so that he would hopefully pick up on the fact that I didn't know what he was talking about. And he eventually did, and he just said, hey, it's in the third drawer, and he told me right where it was, and I was able to pull it out and bring it to him. But that moment of dread, like, I hated that. I hate that feeling of dread. And and here's just what I've learned about Honeydew List and projects those sort of things is that it's always going to cost you more than you think it's going to cost, right? If, if you're a DIYer, it's always going to cost you more. You think, oh, this project, it'll, it'll cost about $1,000, and then it turns into like $10,000. And it's just like, this cost way more. Maybe if, if I didn't do it and I didn't tear stuff up as much, it wouldn't cost as much. But, but it always costs you more than you think it's going to cost. And it always takes longer than you think it's going to take, right? How, how long do you think this project's going to take? Oh, it's about a week-long project. Look, some of you have been in week-long projects now for years, right? And the tools that you currently have, they're not the tools that you need to get the job done. It never fails. It never fails. You, you get to your project, and you're trying to figure out what you need to do wh- and, and what tools you need, and, and it just fails that, it never fails that you don't have the right tool, and so you just end up blazing a trail back and forth to Lowe's and Menards and Home Depot or wherever to get the right tool. Conflict reconciliation is kind of the same way. It's going to cost you more than you think it is. It's going to cost you something. It it just is. But if you choose to obey Jesus and and try this, it it will cost you something. But if you don't, it will cost you way more. It will cost you way more way later. Some of you have experienced that. You're like, man, that that was really hard. That was really hard. And I I don't want to have to go through that again. But I'm glad I did it now and I, I don't have to do this later. It will always cost you more than you think it's going to. And it will always take some time. It will take longer than you think. It, it, it just will. You're going to have to carve out time in your calendar. You're going to have to set up a lunch or, or, or schedule a time to drop by their house or something. It will cost you some time. But if you don't, if you wait, it will take longer. The longer you wait, the longer it will take. And you probably don't have the tools right now. Which is the beauty of community. It's the beauty of groups. It's it's the beauty of being able to hear other people's story and go, Oh, that's not how to do that, right? That's not how I want to handle that. That's good information to know. But when should you go? You you should go when you've been wronged. And when you've wronged. And why? Because you can't have peace. Uh, You can't ultimately feel that kind of peace that God wants you to feel if there's bad blood in your life. And how do you go? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us how. Which makes it a little difficult sometimes. But, but really quickly, if you, if you were to take Matthew 5 and lay it on top of Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about this. There's, there's a couple of things that I think we could learn about this. And so we're going to, real quickly, I, I promise, real quick. Three things that I, I, I think Jesus says to us. The first is this, that you go Immediately. How, how do you go? You go immediately. You, you don't wait. There, some of you have got some bad blood in your life and you needed to go to that person and you needed to go yesterday. You don't, you don't wait. You go immediately. As soon as you feel the bad blood, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he would say later in the New Testament, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. It's like Paul saying, I'm giving you a 24-hour rule. When, when you feel that bad blood, you go. You go immediately. Because it will cost you the longer you wait. It's going to cost you. It's always going to cost you something. And the longer you wait, the more you're going to have to pay. So go immediately. And go directly. Let me, let me ask a real quick question here. When you have a f- friend and there's bad blood in the relationship, who's the first person that you tell? Who is it? Anybody, right? Anybody but the actual person that you've got bad blood with, right? It can be anybody, just not them. That's the way life works, isn't it? We'll we'll tell anyone, sometimes just anybody that'll listen. But more often than not, the last person that we actually tell is the person with whom we have bad blood with. And so, well, I don't know where to start with them. Well, sometimes when you don't know where to start, just start by telling them what you've been saying about them. Just start there. I mean, that may not be a great conversation to start with, but but if you don't know where to start, just start there. There's something about negative bonding. When when we tell other people and we tell them just to get them on our side, there's something about that that just makes us feel better. But what would happen if we would take that energy, that energy of telling everybody else about this bad blood relationship, and we took that to the person that we actually had bad blood with? It wouldn't break the relationship perchance. In fact, I think it might actually strengthen the relationship. And so you go immediately. You don't wait. And you go directly, not to, to, to them, not to everybody else. And then you go humbly. You go in humility. You, you know, God could have used any kind of metaphor he wanted to, to for us and how we think about him. He could have told us to, to think about him like a boss, right? Some, And that's how some people do think of God, as, as a boss. He, he could have he could have said, hey, think of me like a neighbor, like, like a really good neighbor, like a Mr. Rogers type. He, he could have done that. But what does God tell us to think of him like? Like a father. Like, like a perfect father. And, and what does a perfect father do when kids fight? I know what a broken father does. A you know, broken father says, hey, look, I, I love both of you. You're, you're both my sons. But I'm kind of frustrated with the way that you're treating each other. Look, look, I'll always be for you. I'll always love you. you you're, you're, you're my kids. But I'm upset with the bad blood that exists between you. That's what a broken father does. But what does a perfect father do? I think God says, I, I want to have peace with you. Of, of course I, I do. Look Look at what I did. I sent my son, Jesus, to to not just come and, and make a way, but to come and pay for all of the bad blood in your life that's between me and you. I, I, I sent Jesus to do that. So we're good. This relationship it is good, but let's talk about the bad blood that you have with each other. God would say, I owned making peace with you, but I'm leaving it to you to make peace with each other. And, and here's what I think is true for, for all of us, is that making peace with others clears a path for us to make peace with God. If we want to make peace with God, then the first thing that we need to do is to make peace with others. When, when you choose to, to eliminate the bad blood in, in your relationships, to make peace with others, it clears a path for you to feel the kind of peace that God ultimately wants us to feel. So what about your bad blood? What about these relationships? Not this relationship, but what about these relationships where you have bad blood? Who are you dreading having that conversation with? I'm just telling you, don't wait. Don't wait another day. Don't wait any longer. Go go. Just just go. Go immediately. And go directly. And go in humility. But go. Because your peace depends on it. Peace with God. Peace with others. And even peace within yourself. Look, you can have peace about relationships, even if there's never peace in the relationship. But we don't want to settle for that. We want peace in the relationships. So whether you've wronged or you've been wronged the answer's still the same. What do you do? You go. Let me pray for us.